Hello and welcome. You're listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show podcast. Join me as we go delving through the archives to find out about people, places and events that happened in the past. These were stories that were big news in their day, but are largely forgotten now. Most of these podcasts have been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. And one of the great things about this podcast is that I can go into more detail about each story because there are no time constraints. And it's really easy to show your support just by spreading the word, leaving reviews and sharing with all your family and friends. It really does help. If you want to get in touch with me with show ideas, comments or information, you can via Twitter or Facebook by using at Backtracker UK with a capital B, capital T and a capital UK or emailing me at info at backtracker.co.uk Now, on with the show. Bristol Temple Meads is the oldest and largest railway station in Bristol and was opened on the 31st of August 1840 as the western terminus of the Great Western Railway. The historical significance of the station has been noted and most of the site is Grade 1 listed. The station was used by the Bristol and Exeter Railway, the Bristol and Gloucester Railway, the Bristol Harbour Railway and the Bristol and South Wales Union Railway. To accommodate the increasing number of trains, the station was expanded in the 1870s by Francis Fox, and again between 1930 and 1935 by Percy Emerson Culverhouse. And as you can imagine, thousands of Victorians were employed by railway companies, from the locomotive driver on the footplate to the booking clerk in the station. The companies provided work for navvies, signalmen, telegraph operators, station masters, hotel workers and many other people, not forgetting those who worked the fleets of railway-owned ships and horse-drawn vehicles. Some of those people working the railways in that labour-intensive era, their working conditions were often very dangerous and uncomfortable. In the last 25 years of the 19th century, Nearly 13,000 railway workers were killed at work. And as the railway network rapidly expanded, workers were often often required to work long hours, resulting in a number of major accidents. Word of the Week And today's offering is a term related to today's show. Dead Man's Handle This is a handle on a machine having a small button on it which must be kept pressed down by the hand to continue contact so that if the operator is incapacitated, contact is broken and the machine stops. This was originally applied to switches on vehicles or machines like trains 
but nowadays it can also be described for intangible uses, such as in computer software. Although the work was tough, many still managed to make a name for themselves, and one of them was Ellen Jeffries. She was born in Stapleton in 1837 to William and Elizabeth Sainsbury. She was the fourth of seven children, and her father had various jobs. And on the 1851 census, he's listed as the innkeeper of the Three Blackbirds Inn on Stapleton Road. It was then a detached country inn with pleasure gardens at the rear, stretching down to the River Froome. By the age of 23, Ellen was working in a refreshment room opposite Templemead Station. Here, and at her father's inn, she gained valuable experience of the refreshment trade. She was ambitious, and soon gained a post working for the Bristol and Exeter Railway Company in charge of the refreshment bar at Temple Meads. And through hard work and dedication, after eight or nine years, she became the manageress of the company's rooms at Cheddar. And on her last day at Temple Meads, there was a ceremony where she received a testimonial of esteem, a gold watch, jeweled locket and chain, all from her regular customers. But that wasn't the last they'd see of her, because within the next 10 years, she was also running the rooms at Templemead Station, Western Supermare Station and Chippenham Station. Later, she also added Salisbury to her list, and at some point she became a subcontractor to the GWR and held the franchises to run these refreshment rooms which meant that the profits gained were hers. The establishments were quite large, and the 1881 census records Ellen at Templemeads as head keeper of refreshment rooms. She had 12 live-in staff, six female assistants, two female servants, and four male waiters. Other staff lived locally with their families. Ellen Jeffrey's rooms at the railway stations didn't just cater for train passengers, but also for visiting tourist groups and local functions. One occasion was the visit to Cheddar Gorge and Caves of a hundred people from the Cardiff Chamber of Trade. Miss Sainsbury supplied a cold luncheon with the usual delicacies and a pièce de résistance. Later, at 5pm, they were all served tea. The tables were apparently laid with exquisite taste. On another occasion, she was required to prepare a sumptuous dinner for Queen Victoria's son, the Duke of Edinburgh, his wife and local dignitaries, who had come to support the Triennial Music Festival. This provided a scholarship to the Royal College of Music. Early in 1887, aged 50, Ellen married widowed David Jeffries, who had been station master at Cheddar. By now, Ellen was wealthy enough to buy Harefield Hall in Willsbridge, where they lived for the remainder of their lives. Ellen was sadly widowed 13 years later, on the 6th of May 1900, but continued working. When she was 68, she negotiated an agreement with the Great Western Railway, or GWR, to supply catering on the luncheon cars between Bristol and Liverpool. 
She was still in charge of the rooms when she was 77 years old. Ellen Jeffries never had any children, and in her later years she shared her good fortune with her local community. So while she was living in Wildbridge, she had many philanthropic interests, supporting local churches and opening charity events. She was vice president of the Kingswood Nursing Association, which provided district nurses. She enjoyed growing plants and vegetables and won many prizes in horticultural shows. She hosted conservative functions, contributed to the building of a new church at Longwell Green, and donated the east window to it. She died aged 80 on the 17th of May 1917 in Harefield Hall, leaving an amazing £57,600. She had acquired a large portfolio of properties over the years. It comprised of five substantial houses, seven farms, six cottages and pasture lands in Oldland, Wick, Bridgate and Syston. She also owned the tiny village of Cowhill near Thornbury with three farms, cottages, a small holding and salmon fishery and held the title Manor of Cowhill. She made many bequests in her 12-page will. These went to hospitals, family, friends, managers and staff in the refreshment rooms and at Harefield Hall, sadly much of which was later swallowed up by death duties. Her funeral at All Saints Church in Longwell Green and internment at Arnesvale Cemetery were very well attended and the mourners included nine officials from the Great Western Railway, including the divisional superintendent. find yourself in the Bristol Museum and Art Gallery, look out for a centrepiece in the silverware collection. It was bequeathed by Jeffries in her will and is a large organaut shell in pierced metalwork with a cupid holding a torch, whilst a goddess with a harp is seated on the crest of the shell with two more cupids. The whole scene is riding the crest of the waves drawn by two seahorses, each guided by a mermaid with two Neptune-like figures. Very fancy. (laughs) Word on the street. Today we are strolling down Merchant Street in BS1 Bristol. This road has been known by various names over the years. Once it was called Marshall Street and was the military road from the castle Kingsdown, where exercises and tourneys took place. It was also known as Mercate Street, from the Latin Mercatus, meaning market. The name Merchant Street would seem to date from the 16th century. If you've ever been to Templemead Station, you may have noticed a marble plaque underneath the clock tower on the entrance. This is dedicated to Emma Saunders, who was born in Middleton Stoney in Oxfordshire in 1841. She was the last of five children born to Mary Magdalene and Joshua Saunders. Her family moved about because of her father's work for the Bank of England. 
They spent two years in Manchester before settling down in Bristol. Southern house in Clifton, actually. Emma's mother, Mary, was a role model for good works. And after moving to Bristol, she quickly joined the committee of the Industrial Home for Destitute Girls and the Parkrow Asylum, which looked after women after they were released from prison. It was a mission organised at the Christchurch Clifton Down that she identified her own mission. She went into teaching, working at a ragged school and at a Sunday school. In 1878, Emma began a Bible class for railwaymen, available each Sunday, and on the Monday she held a similar meeting for mothers. This activity led to her visiting the places where the men were working at the time. Many worked on the Seven Tunnel, which was 13 years in construction until 1876. Her work didn't go unnoticed, and in 1881 she was asked by Louisa Stevenson to take over the mission for railwaymen, which Stevenson had founded. In time, Emma eventually persuaded the Great Western Railway Temperance Society to help her create a temperance hall at Pile Hill Goods Yard in the 1880s. went on to found the Bristol and West of England's Railwaymen's Institute, which contained leisure facilities, as well as a room for engineering classes and religious meetings. She was assisted in her work by Miss Hickman, a committee member of the Board and Clifton Dorcas Society. During this time, she lived with her older sister, Georgiana, in Manila Lodge in Clifton Down, Bristol, after her parents died. Emma Saunders was also known as the Lady with the Basket, as she would visit any railway premises where she was invited or where someone was ill, and she would give out a tract or a small present to those she met with her basket. She was said to visit 2,000 people every month. The visits continued until after the end of the First World War in 1919. In 1921, on her 80th birthday, Mr H.R. Griffith, the Divisional Superintendent of GWR, presented her, on behalf of the 5,000 railwaymen who had joined the association, an illuminated address decorated with views illustrative of Saunders' work, as well as an easy chair and settee. Emma Saunders continued to visit all classes and all departments of railway work and distributed flowers, monthly railway magazines and Bible tracts amongst the men right up until her death. She was a popular and welcome sight to many who worked on the railways. Emma Saunders died at 6 Sion Hill, Clifton, Bristol at the age of 87 on the 27th of February 1927. She was the pioneer of the national movement for the welfare of railwomen and had worked on their behalf for most of her life. A railway official wrote in a pamphlet And down the line, in and out of the sheds, sidings and depots, Miss Saunders and her lady workers have gone, carrying their baskets filled with floral buttonholes, 
pausing just a moment to voice a reminder of better things and to leave their monthly message and gift of flowers. When incapacitated by sickness or accident, the men were visited and aided, and their restoration to health and working efficiency were quickened by a change of air, good food and cheerful company provided by the help of the Sanatoria Fund. Their home life was brightened and improved by the work carried on amongst the wives and families. The extension of the work throughout the country cannot fail to have an ever-widening influence for good, not only amongst railway men, but also amongst the public they serve. She was the subject of a booklet entitled The Railwayman's Friend, which described how Miss Saunders had provided the room, the safe place, for the railwaymen to relax and play games, and how the scheme developed into the Railwaymen's Institute, which was opened at Bath Bridge in 1910 by the sheriff, Mr George Risley. Incidentally, it was at a meeting at Saunders' house in Clifton that the national organisation, the Railwaymen's Welfare Association, was formed, with Sir George Wills as president and Mr H.E. Rossiter as the general secretary. A year after her death, it was agreed that a memorial to Saunders' 50 years of continued work on behalf of the railway workers should be erected, and they decided on a life-size white marble portrait under the outside clock at the main entrance to Templemead Station. Each year, a memorial service would be held for Saunders, and railwaymen and their families were invited. At the one held 12 years after her death, Reverend Blackburn said, There is something very thrilling about a gathering of men who have come to do honour to the name and memory of a woman. It appeals to our sense of chivalry, and it is always something that we men can understand. Wreath was produced, made up of daffodils, Saunter's favourite flower, and, as was the custom at her memorial services, the whole congregation wore a daffodil, in respect for her memory. And the GWR Male Voice Choir sang, and a collection was taken in aid of the Lord Mayor's Hospital Fund. Whoa! Look how much saturated fat is in these chocolate biscuits. It's surprising how much is in our food and drinks. For us kids, eating too much saturated fat can lead to harmful fat building up inside, which we can't see, increasing the risk of heart disease or stroke when we get older. So be food smart. Download the free Change for Life food scanner app and start making healthier choices today. In today's news, the devil was arrested in central Bristol today and he was charged with possession. Back in the day facts. And today we start off with the 1st of July 1916, the first day of the Battle of the Somme. The British Army suffers its worst day, losing 19,240 men. On the 2nd of July 1865, 
one-time Methodist Reformed Church minister William Booth and his wife Catherine founded the East London Christian Mission, now known as the Salvation Army. It's a Protestant Christian church and international charitable organisation with its headquarters in London. It has a worldwide membership of over 1.7 million who are collectively known as Salvationists. On the 3rd of July 1985, Back to the Future, directed by Robert Zemeckis and starring Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd, is released. Considered by critics and audiences to be one of the greatest science fiction films of all time, and in my opinion, definitely, the United States Library of Congress in 2007 selected it for preservation in the National Film Registry. The film was also followed by two sequels, and the Universal Studios franchise now includes video games, theme park rides, an animated television series, and a stage musical. On the 4th of July, 1840, the Cunard Line's 700-ton wooden paddle steamer RMS Britannia departs from Liverpool bound for Halifax, Nova Scotia, on the first transatlantic crossing with a scheduled end. The 5th of July 1954, singer Elvis Presley's first professional recording session, with guitarist Scotty Moore and bass player Bill Black. It takes place at Sam Phillips's Memphis Recording Service in Memphis, Tennessee. The trio record four songs, including their historic cover of Arthur Big Boy Crudup's song, That's Alright. On the 6th of July, 1885, Louis Pasteur successfully gave an anti-rabies vaccine to nine-year-old Joseph Meister, saving his life. And lastly, on the 7th of July, 1456, a retrial verdict acquits Joan of Arc of heresy 25 years after her death. Well, I'm afraid, everyone, that's the end of the show today, and I hope you enjoyed the subject as much as I did. And the next time you go to Bristol Temple Meads, look out for the plaque that's just under the clock tower in the main entrance. Now, my two best buds for this particular episode are David Brinley-Hale from St. Stephen's Drama Group in Bristol and Steve Shepherd from our very own Bradley Stoke Radio for providing the voices for the pamphlet and Reverend Blackburn. Thank you, guys. You have been a great help and you've brought today's story to life. Thank you once again for listening to me. Alice on the Backtracker History Show. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter or Facebook by looking up at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. I also occasionally post onto TikTok and Instagram. So do come along and find me because it's amazing to hear from you and get some feedback or even ideas for future shows. As a small independent podcaster, your help and support is always appreciated. And one way you can do that is to rate the show wherever you get your podcasts. Leaving a review also helps as it gives other people an idea of what the show's about. The show is regularly released on Mondays. So until next time, guys, take care and look after each other. <laughs> <laughs>